Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. New Jersey is sending help to those who have been hit hard by Hurricane Ian. Ian has since been downgraded to a tropical storm, and Murphy says his administration is monitoring the storm as it heads further north. The legacy of former New Jersey Governor Jim Florio. We'll get Governor Phil Murphy's thoughts on the passing of the former governor. I think he was an iconic figure, a public servant in our state's history. He was a great guy, a courageous leader. New York is trying to make it more appealing to buy electric vehicles. We're really putting our foot down the accelerator and revving up our efforts to make sure we have this transition. Resident reporter James Frazier speaks with the Budget Nista about her new Netflix documentary. And we'll hear from bassist Michael Thurber, who's profiled by WBGO's Leo Sidrin. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. Ian has now dropped to the category of a post-tropical cyclone. The National Hurricane Center said Ian has been downgraded from a hurricane to what is considered a post-tropical cyclone with sustained winds of 70 miles per hour. Officials say all hurricane warnings and watches have now been discontinued. While Ian has been downgraded, the NHC emphasizes the threat of flash flooding and high winds may occur. FEMA officials say Ian is still considered an extreme threat to everyone in its path as the storm moves across South Carolina. So far, nearly 3,000 federal responders in Florida and across the southeast are assisting with storm recovery efforts. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is sending aid to Florida in response to Ian. The Category 4 storm battered many areas on Florida's southwest coast. WBGO's Tennyson Donier has more. Governor Murphy announced 135 National Guard members will deploy to Florida to help with storm relief efforts. Ian made landfall on Wednesday as a Category 4 hurricane, and experts have called it one of the strongest storms in U.S. history, with winds gusts up to 155 miles per hour, two miles per hour short of Category 5. According to USA Today, the storm has caused widespread flooding. At least 13 people have died and more than 2 million homes and businesses were without power Thursday morning. Ian has since been downgraded to a tropical storm and Murphy says his administration is monitoring the storm as it heads further north. Tennyson Donye, WBGO News. Everyone seems to be weighing in on what the legacy is for former New Jersey Governor Jim Florio who died at the age of 85 this past Sunday. On our Ask Governor Murphy show, host Nancy Solomon posed the question to Governor Phil Murphy. I have found it really interesting to read all the reassessments of his tenure in office since you know, he lost his reelection and was derided for years because he raised taxes. Um, yet uh, we're seeing a very different kind of picture of him in these obituaries. Uh, he was out front on two critical issues are, that are critical today, the environment and assault weapons. Uh, he was criticized for raising taxes and he talked about, but, but in response to that, he talked about being a responsible leader and not doing what is merely yeah. expedient. And I mean, that's something you've talked about, too. So yeah. um, do, do you feel an affinity for Jim Florio? Very much. First of all, at a very personal level, he was very good to me uh, and, and Tammy and our administration. So he was a guy who offered wise counsel at every step of the way, in my case, long before I was governor. So he's a, he was a great guy, a great friend, and he'll be missed with and on with his family and his colleagues uh, intensely over the past couple of days. I think you said it right. I mean, he was a man before his time. 
uh, I think, 15 years in Congress, if, if, if my memory serves me, did an enormous amount of good in Congress on things like Superfund sites and whatnot. And then, you know, a giant on the environment, both then as governor, a giant on assault weapons, um, got the John F. Kennedy Library's Profile and Courage Award, I think literally within a couple of months of his reelection that he barely lost. Yeah, and he, and he took a lot of heat uh, for writing the fiscal ship, not just by cutting expenses, which is what he previewed he would do when he was running the first time, but by raising taxes, which he had vowed he would not do. And Jim always said, listen, it was a lot worse when I got there and I, I got to do the right thing, whether that's popular or not. So this to me is a lot less about taxes or the actual moves that he made. He did the right thing, mm-hmm. even though he knew he would pay an enormous price. Uh, he took very unpopular stands and he had a great quote. I'm not going to get it right, Nancy. Some days you wake up, you can't please everybody all the time. Some days you wake up and you can't please anybody. Uh, so be it or something like that. And he had he had those days. But I, I think he was an iconic figure, a public servant in our state's history. He was a great guy, a courageous leader, and God rest his soul. You can hear the entire Ask Governor Murphy program this Sunday at 5 p.m. right here on WBGO and WBGO.org. New York State is trying to make it more appealing to buy electric vehicles. We get that story from WBGO's Scott Pringle. Governor Hochul is directing the state DEC to come up with regulations requiring all passenger vehicles sold in New York State to be zero emissions by year 2035. We're really putting our foot down the accelerator and revving up our efforts to make sure we have this transition. The governor is adding $10 million to the Drive Clean rebate program. That means more folks will be eligible for a $2,000 rebate from the state when purchasing an electric vehicle. Upfront costs are still high. They're still high. I understand that. So we're going to continue having an assistance program to help purchasers. Meanwhile, the governor says crews have just finished installing the 100th fast charging station. They are scattered throughout the state. Scott Pringle, WBGO News. There's a new Netflix documentary that has been released about the Budget Nista. Resident reporter James Frazier gets another opportunity to talk to Tiffany Aliche. March 30, 2021. Tiffany Aliche released Get Good With Money. In the New York Times bestseller, the Budget shared a 10-step plan for finding peace, safety, and harmony with your money. Fast forward to September 6, 2022, Aliche is back to show you in real time how it looks to put her teachings into action in the Netflix documentary, Get Smart With Money. The film showcases Tiffany and three other financial experts spending 12 months mentoring clients to improve their financial situations. After attending the screening, I caught up with America's favorite financial educator as she shared her experience of where she started to where she's standing now. Because it's been a long journey, but then it feels like in a blink of an eye, I'm here. Because one, it's surreal because I was born in Newark, literally just a few blocks from NJ Pack. I'm here, you know, at NJ Pack, where I've seen Lauryn Hill perform, where I've gone to comedy shows, where I've seen some of the biggest in the industry. And now here I am showcasing my Netflix documentary, Get Smart With Money. And to be surrounded by family and friends and and community and to see a sea of brown faces in this black city. I just it's just it's just such a full circle moment. And I just feel full of joy and gratefulness as the film progresses. It's hard not to notice that all four clients had their fair share of issues, but money wasn't their biggest problem. 
Well, because we, we don't really deal with the money at first, you know? So if I'm coaching you, we really are going to attack mindset. I'm going to try to figure out what is the common denominator for all of your choices. Maybe it's I want to do better by my kids. Maybe it's I want to retire my parents. Maybe it's I want to go on vacation. Maybe it's I want to stop stressing and worrying. So we make that the goal, not the money. I spoke to the film's producer, Chris and Lazor, about their approach to casting the documentary. You want everybody who's watching the film to be able to see themselves in some way, right? So, um, and to be able to, you know, really root for these people. You want, you know, when we were casting an NFL player, we were like, is anybody going to empathize with the guy who got a $1.6 million check and then blew a lot of it? But I think ultimately you do. Like, you definitely empathize with Tease. You're rooting for him. You want him to... You want him to make the team and you want him to get his finances together and you want him to like really start investing and putting this money away for his family. During the Q&A segment of the evening, a woman with jet black hair requested the microphone and left the crowd in a never ending applause as she announced the purchase of 2,500 copies of Tiffany's book. She represented the um, the Board of Education for here in Newark, New Jersey. So they purchased 2,500 books for all Newark high school seniors. Isn't that amazing? They're all getting Get Good With Money, my New York Times bestselling book, which is just tremendous. I'm just so grateful. Stream Get Smart With Money on Netflix now. For the WBGO Journal, I'm James Frazier in Newark. Multi-instrumentalist and bassist Michael Thurber recently brought his gigantic energy to Little Island. WBGO's Leo Sidron was also there. Ladies and gentlemen in New York City, how are you feeling this evening? As we know, New York City attracts people from all over the world. It's the people that make the city. Spalding Gray once said that he knew he couldn't live in America, and he wasn't ready to move to Europe, so he moved to an island off the coast of America. New York City. Of course, he didn't know about Little Island when he said that. That's a tiny urban park that opened recently, suspended over the Hudson River just off the west side of Manhattan. On a recent Sunday night at Little Island's amphitheater, as Michael Thurber's show came to a close, he thanked his audience for their open-mindedness. And thank you so much for being so open to a lot of different music. The truth is we all listen to a lot of different music. The lie is that we all only play one style of music. Doing concerts like this and having audiences like you, it makes the world a better place. We get to experience a whole bunch of different beauty. You know, why lock yourself off? There's so much good stuff out there. So I love you. This statement of intent came after 90 minutes of what could be called a proof of concept. In Michael's case, his concept is expansive and often unexpected. His original songs are confessional, conversational, contemporary. I just want to be happy. I just want to have a good life. I just want to make my family proud. Michael is an accomplished instrumentalist. His first instrument was the bass. He's a composer and a producer in a multitude of styles, from musical theater to classical concertos, bluegrass to pop. And his live shows seem designed to shine a light on his love of that diversity. In the space of an evening, he welcomed a parade of friends to the stage, including, for example, the main mandolin man about town, Chris Thiele, and violin virtuoso Tessa Lark, who joined him on stage to play part of a Bach violin concerto adapted for fiddle, mandolin, and upright bass. Is that all right? You want to hear some J.S. Bach? Clarinet player Mark Dover, Broadway actor Daniel J. Watts, Clyde and Gracie Lawrence from the band Lawrence, and esteemed saxophonist Tavon Pennicott all made memorable appearances during a show that swung from Motown to Appalachian music and everything in between. 
Despite that somewhat disparate presentation, it all makes sense in Thurber's world. Rather than playing like a variety show, it comes across more like a manifesto, a kind of radical affirmation. Michael explained to me how he approaches putting together these live events. Going on stage is a privilege, and if you're gonna do it, you should go for broke. Get super real and go super hard. If people are gonna be with me for 90 minutes, I really wanna give them something that's gonna make them feel something. I think a lot before I go out there so that then when I can get out there, like I don't have to think and I can just try to transmit as much energy as possible. Michael Thurber came of age when the internet was already a reality. And despite having attended Juilliard for both classical and jazz bass, it may be fair to say that YouTube was as much a teacher to him as any professor he ever had. That sense of music made free from category and untethered to a linear history is crucial to him. And he tends to work with other people who feel the same way. I gravitate towards people whose major leaning is openness. That's sort of my major leaning. You know, I have the stylistic center of gravities, but it's mostly about like an openness and a willingness to like explore and to try things and a real seriousness about music. During COVID, Michael started releasing solo music and began in earnest to try and tie together the loose ends of his musical life. And while his particular journey is specific and somewhat unusual, it's clear that he's leaning on his friends to help him find his way home. For WBGO News, I'm Leo Sidrin. This month, the new award-winning documentary Hockeyland is being released worldwide. I had a chance recently to speak with the director and producer of the film, Tommy Haynes, as well as one of the hockey players featured in the doc, Elliot Van Orsdale, on my podcast, Sports Jam. It's too cold out here. It's too cold in Minnesota. Webworth is the home of the big stick. It's home of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. And at one point, the best hockey in America was played here. For seven state championships. What better way to get things going this hockey season with the old Iron Range stalwart, the Evelyn Gilbert Golden Bears, and the top-ranked Hermantown Hawks? It's your year. It's your show. We here will follow you to hell and back. But this is on you. Stand up to the big bad bullies out there and work them into the ground. You are some of the best hockey players in the state, which puts you as some of the best hockey players in the country. Let's go out there right now and shut them down. Let's go, boys. Come on, boys. And I'm joined by the director and producer of the film, Tommy Haynes. His 2008 debut feature, Pond Hockey, was dubbed the best hockey movie ever by ESPN. Tommy, thanks for joining us on Sports Jam. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me. We're also joined by hockey player Elliot Van Orsdale, who is featured in the doc. And Elliot grew up in the hockey hotbed of Eveleth, Minnesota, who many argue was once the epicenter of hockey in the U.S. Great to have you on the show, Elliot. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. So Greenwich Entertainment, a leading distributor of independent films, has acquired the North American distribution rights to this critically acclaimed documentary called Hockeyland. It's about rival high school hockey teams in Minnesota in the north country of Minnesota, one of the breeding grounds for hockey greats who go on to collegiate and professional play, including the National Hockey League. Tommy, for you, it's a return to your roots for this film. I guess it was kind of a labor of hockey love for you. Yep. Um, this I was raised in a neighboring town to where Elliot grew up, uh, a little town called Mountain Iron. And actually, Elliot's mom um, also is from there originally. So we're only a couple of years apart. Um, 
but yeah, I, I've been wanting to do a high school hockey film um, for you know 15 years now. I met Neil Broughton, who's a former New Jersey Devil, won the cup with them. And he had just, he, even after he won the cup and he won a Hobie Baker and he won the Miracle on Ice, he still talked about, uh, you know, those days playing for Roseau, Minnesota and like losing in the state tournament and how much those games meant to him. And, and that was something I wanted to capture. I'm like, what's that experience like now? What are these boys going through now? Um, and so kind of wanted to, and, and I knew, I heard that Elliott's school, Eveleth, was going to be consolidating with their neighboring school, Virginia, Minnesota. Uh, you got a Jersey Matt Cullen there behind you. That's that's where he was born and raised. Um, so we wanted to make sure we had this kind of storied program. They won, I, I don't know, five of the first seven state titles. Um, a lot of Olympians came from that, that this school. And so we wanted to make sure we got that final year um, with Evelyn before that, that school disappeared. So, yeah, it was – and that, that's where the timing was so ripe for that 2019-20 season for us to capture it then. I'm glad you mentioned uh... – the Matt Cullen jersey behind me because uh, he became one of my uh, favorite players and in honor of this uh, film, uh, put his jersey up here today because uh, of his Minnesota roots and winning the cup with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, as a junior and senior, Elliot Van Orsdale led the Golden Bears, his team, in scoring and finished his high school career with 100 points. And after high school, he moved to St. Paul and was the captain of the Minnesota Mullets junior hockey team. Minnesota Mullets, you got to love that name, right? This fall, (laughs) this fall, Elliot, you are, in fact, it may be today, you're heading uh, east to the University of Southern Maine, where you intend to play some D3 hockey, right? Uh, Yeah, it was quite the journey, you know, moving around, you know, didn't, uh, didn't know what to expect with the hockey career, but it's definitely, um, definitely excited for what's to come, so. You got a little bit of uh, yogger type hair going on there for you, Elliot, which is all good for me. Because yeah, well, I, I would love to have your hair. <laughs> yeah, when you play for a team uh, called the Minnesota Mullets, you definitely have to have uh, <laughs> the hair to support it. So just doing my part, that's all. What was it like for you to be in this documentary? Because as Tommy mentioned, he said your mom and the parents of hockey players, <laughs> they're the real heroes of this sport, aren't they? Oh, without a doubt. You know, my parents are the engine behind, you know, what my career is. And uh, it all started with them from, you know, the early ages of the, the support or bringing me to practice or, you know, you know the financials of things, you know, tenfold. It, it's it, They're the engine behind it. And uh, without their support, you know, and love and care, it would, I wouldn't be where I am today, uh, for sure. So, so. I remember when they were at the first practice and uh, bringing the film crew in for the first time saying, hey, mom, we're going to be in a movie. It was definitely an eye opener. And she's like, you know, let me let me clean the dishes. You know, let me clean up the house. It was the, <laughs> the rawness, the raw reaction of the, the realism of what the film was, a fly on the wall view of what, you know, my career and where I was as a person at the time. You know, it was it was it was scary to get them to convince them to be able to do that. But in the end, it ended up being, you know, one of the best decisions I've ever made. And I'm um, extremely thankful that I was able to do that. But uh, I think introducing it to them was uh, it was uh, they were a little shell shock for sure. <laughs> that well, way you was- know, you're you're giving up privacy. You're giving up some special <laughs> moments. Exactly. Um, exactly. And you're sharing it with the world uh, because this documentary is, you know, can be seen everywhere. And so it had to be super fun, though, because the conversations that you have are, are wonderful with your family and, and just being out in the very cold, you know, 
north country of, of Minnesota is, is something that here in Newark, we can't necessarily relate to only on certain times of the year. You're <laughs> used to the cold temperatures and playing on the pond and playing in the rink. Yeah, yeah, it's it, you know it's it's cold up there. We're lucky, you know. I, I've also said multiple times, you know, without growing up here, I don't know if I would have first played the game, but been able to play the game. That you know, XSO, um, the ability to go out to the rink and have all this free ice from you know from the time we got off of school, walked to school with our skates in our bag and our gloves and our sticks, and put them in our locker, and then right after school from three to 10 o'clock to go out and skate it, it, you know, it made me who I am today. I don't think without growing up here, I would have been that person. So, you know, in a way it's, in it's a way it, uh, it made me who I am being able to be up here in the cold and, you know, being miserable on those nights when our toes are too cold to stay on the rink, but uh, it made it all the more worth it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a Northern Minnesota that's for sure. Well, and that's part of the reason why we wanted to make it about this area is just, you know, we see films like Hoop Dreams or Friday Night Lights, you know, those communities just back the sport so heavily and uh, so fanatically. And so you see it in Eveleth. I mean, the whole town comes out. They got the the parents are volunteering at the local concession stand. They're working the rinks. They're Zambonating the ice. Um, so it's a full like town support for the hockey team there. It's just incredible. And it's it's something I'm seeing less and less of across the country. Uh, it's becoming more like privatized teams, more junior teams, things like that. But this is still kind of old school model where it's like the whole community just like supports the local high school team. Um, and that's, that's from age five until they're, you know, graduate when they're 17, 18 year olds. So it's, it's incredible. We have a, a very good offensive player in Elliot Van Orsdale. He was our leading scorer last year. He can see things on the rink that other guys can't see. Um, plus he brings a lot of energy. Sometimes that energy needs to be uh, reined in a little bit, but he's a he's a very good uh, very good offensive player. You know it's a little scary moving forward, and I um, you know it's we're not going to have the Evo team anymore, so this might be the one of the last teams that people remember. Yeah, that's pretty special to be one of the last players to wear Golden Bear jersey. I guess we should just strive to have the best possible team that we can. There's a lot of history here, and I think there's no reason that we can't make some more. Tommy Haynes is a filmmaker with Northland Films. Many of your films have been featured all over the world, 43 countries, 80 festivals and climbing. And so, you know, you have an eye for what goes in a film and a documentary. And I have to tell you, from moment one, and when I see a wolf, a beautiful wolf (laughs) on camera, it draws me in because I just happen to love them. And the, the camera's view of this beautiful beautiful country beautiful sport it all comes together uh, yeah thank you i mean that's that that wolf was from ely minnesota so it's a little bit north of eveleth but uh it's just a beautiful part of the country honestly and um uh we wanted to make sure we weren't just i think twofold we wanted to make sure we were showing the experience for these high school boys yes number one but number two is just show them the, the place that they're living in. And, and that's part of the scene, set the scene there. So yeah, thanks for noticing that. It was a big part of our filmmaking process. How long did it take you to put together Hockey Land? Well, we, we were looking at many towns. I mean, Elliot knows all the towns we were looking at, Ely, Greenway, Grand Rapids, a, a lot of Iron Range towns. Um, and, and we're trying to find the right one. And so once we, once we heard that Eveleth was going to go away, uh, we knew we had to just make the film that year. And so it literally took us you know, a winter of shooting. We shot for four months, um, pretty much, you know, in and out of Elliot's house uh, to his parents' chagrin 
for you know those months, and then and then we edited probably the film for nine months, ten months, so about a, about close to two years to do from the start to the film to the end um, to make it. The pandemic kind of slowed things down. The, the theatrical world kind of shut down during the pandemic, but super excited to have this thing out there now. It's going to be in you know close to fifty theaters in Minnesota alone, and then we're going to expand uh, you know nationwide after that the next week. Ellie, and how did this documentary change you as not only a hockey player but as an individual? Well, it was definitely, you know, it was definitely quite the experience, you know, you, you, not that it changed who I was when I, at the time, you know, but I, you know, I played with a mic and I had the camera on and looking back, I think it was a bigger, bigger effect on me. You know, at the time, I, I think I was just living and playing my career and, you know, going to school or just living. And, and the, like I said, a fly on the wall where they, uh, they were just filming, what I was doing, but looking back on, it, I think is what I'm the biggest, the biggest influence for me. It's, you know, I get to, I got to see me as a, you know, a young adult and not, that, and not that I'm not now, you know, I still am up for sure, but mm -hmm. I got to, you know, I, I got to see where I, where I came from. And like he said, the last year of, uh, you know, Eveleth and, you know, I got to see my old friends and, and see what we got to experience together. And, just that uh, being able to look back at that, I think is my, you know, why I'm so, so happy that I did it because it, it was just, a, it, it's so well made, you know, and so well documented and, and being able to look back, you know, even when I'm, you know, 25, then 30, then 40, showing, you know, whether that be my kids or, you know, my, you know, my niece or nephews or whoever it may be, being able to show a documentary showing what, not only my life was like, but what the culture is up here, because I think that's the most important part is the culture that, that they were trying to display. It's a different feel up here. Like Tommy said with the, the community and the buy-in and, and, the, and the culture and the excitement for an upcoming game or upcoming event, or you knowing a team is good up here. And I think that's, that's going away, you know, it's going away. And so having that documented it, it is what I think is best because you know, it, it, the culture's unmatched. It's something that, uh, you know, it, it needed It needed to be displayed. People need to see it because it, it, it's the best. It's the best. As the story unfolds, you do really see the commitment that it takes to play this sport, especially at a high level. The commitment of the family, the commitment of the coaches. What do you want to say about your coach, Elliot? You know, Coach Jeff and I, we have no a, swearing. No swearing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, Coach and I had a unique relationship, of course, but I was a unique player. Uh, I think Jeff's an absolutely great individual and a great coach, and I'm I'm extremely thankful for, for the role that he had in my life. You know, growing up, uh, you know, as a struggling teen, trying to find myself, um, find who I am, who I am as a player and a person. You know, learning, making mistakes, growing from them. He, you know. He, he took not only a role as a coach, but a father figure and being responsible for, you know, guiding me through life, not only my hockey career, but literally through life. And, you know, that's a, that's a lot to ask of a coach, right? I mean, he signs up to be a coach and all of a sudden he's dealing with, you know, 30 kids that are, or, you know, going through a period of their life that will, you know, put them into their careers, their futures. So, so he had, he had a, a daunting task with me. That's for sure. But uh, he did a he did a heck of a job, and um, I, I I still credit a lot to you know who I am, not only as a person but a player. 
and where I not only am going, but where I, I went um, for my hockey career. You know, I dedicate a lot to that to him. He, he was a great person, great coach, and uh, he had a huge influence on, on uh, who I am today. That's for sure. Well, and he says in the movie too, like it's like, you know, Elliot was, it was a tough person for, for Jeff to coach, but at the same time, you know, uh, Elliot made Jeff a better coach too. So I, I think there's a lot of coaches out there that when they watch this film, they'll relate to Jeff's perspective where you have such a talented kid like Elliot, like Elliot was one of the best players on the team as a sophomore, you know, how many teams have that? So to kind of foster that and, and make sure that he's kind of going around the right path along the way, I think a lot of coaches have that where they have these great talented players, but then how do you, you know, kind of help guide them along the way. And so I, I love that relationship with those two. Cause it's, it obviously is, it's tough for both of them. I mean, Elliot, you know, you find out in the film, like he got in trouble his sophomore season. And that I think was a sticking point for those two throughout his, his career at Evelyn. So that it's tough, but it's also a, Jeff cares about all these boys. I learned that along the way. Like he's, he's uh, he loves the community of Eveleth and he, and he loves these boys. And so it's, I think that comes out in the film. You can see that. I guarantee you, if you come out and you stand up to him right off the bat, it's not a period they want to get into. It's not a period they want to get into. Stand up to the big bad bullies out there and work them into the ground. No reason they can't be at work. Let's go out there right now and shut them down. Let's go, back. Come You can see my entire conversation with Tommy Haynes and Elliot Van Orsdale on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz station, WBGO and WBGO.org.